to another episode of Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth. This episode is a follow-up conversation with Pastor Jeff Kelly. He's our pastor for assimilation and student ministry here at Grace Community Church. Assimilation is a short way of saying he helps people go from visitor to member. But as pastor for student ministries, he has a great perspective on what it means to help us understand the theology behind engaging with technology in our families. While we maintain social distancing of a little bit over six feet, uh, Pastor Jeff Kelly and I are sitting down together to have a follow-up conversation about technology and the family. In our panel discussion, uh, Jeff was responsible for giving us a thorough and exhaustive overview of theology and technology. And of course, he had 10 minutes, so it wasn't as exhaustive (laughs) as we might have wanted it to be. So we're going to follow up with that. Uh, One of the things that's been really consistent in our Grace Matters conversations for the, for at least for 2020 has been the idea of biblical anthropology and how important a role that plays in the rest of our theology. And I think Jeff did a really great job of uh, giving us a biblical anthropology, a biblical understanding of sinfulness as a theological foundation for how we then interact with technology in our homes. So I wanted to follow up with that in part because Jeff had this really great three-part explanation of uh, the flesh. So Jeff, would you understand uh, a biblical anthropology as kind of like a two-part anthropology, flesh and spirit, new man, old man? Is it two things? Are there three things? How do you frame that up? Yeah, I, I, yeah. So I said a lot in the podcast (laughs) and I apologize for anybody who was trying to take notes or anything like that. But um, certainly want to get as much information out there as possible. The concept between um, the flesh and the spirit obviously summarizes two parts that we have to be careful um, that we understand. Um, We have addressed um, kind of those things outside of us that would be outside of anthropology, but would affect anthropology. So um, yeah, I would see the, the flesh as still operating um, under a diminished, uh, power, yeah. but I would see the spirit obviously taking first place and being in that primary position so that yeah. we as believers have the ability now to respond to the Holy spirit. Whereas before we didn't. It's been great to hear Brad preaching. Uh, currently we're in the book of John and in the farewell discourse. And so Brad has been hitting a lot of this, uh, Holy spirit introduction from that farewell discourse, reminding us of what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Mm. Uh, and so in the biblical anthropology that sees flesh and spirit as two parts, uh, which again is straight from the scripture, you know, you gave this really cool uh, explanation of the components of the flesh, the character of the flesh and the activity of the flesh. And I found that to be very helpful categories. Um, are there any things you didn't get to say about any of those three or how they work together that you'd want to unpack any further? Yeah. I mean, you know, there was a lot said about the components of the flesh, the the fact that, you know, we're not passive to sin. Um, we are actively still engaged with, with sin and its influences. So we talked about that. I don't want to rehash that, but the, you know, the, just quickly, the components of the flesh were the passions, uh, the desire, or volitional will that the flesh has and a mind that the flesh has. 
Um, um, I, I would suggest that, you know, parenting in a digital age, as we had kind of introduced this concept, parenting in a digital age requires um, more than ever, just a complete understanding of, of what we're made up of yep. um, and all of its components. Otherwise, we tend to to either think that all is lost or all is saved and we don't see that that middle ground yeah um of how we can how we can traverse uh what the world has to offer offer because we live in the world but we're not of the world mm. so um yeah one of the things i would think that that tends to kind of flow out of this that we didn't hearken on too much or talk about too much was hebrews chapter 12 the idea the concept of you know, casting aside when, 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 when the writer of Hebrews gets to the point where he's trying to make his application, let's say from chapter 11, talking about those men and women who walked after God, he was trying to make a comparison. He was saying, okay, now based on those people, now it's, it's responsible or we're responsible for casting aside, not just sin, but every weight. Hmm that besets us from following the Lord. And so that becomes, okay, so what is a weight? things that weigh you down from running? If you're going to run a race, and I've heard it said that even at these big marathons that they run, um, these runners, these joggers will show up with um, sweatsuits on. And as soon as the race starts, you know, they're shedding those yeah. extra layers. Yeah. They can't run the race with all that weight. And, um, you know, we do well to approve things that are excellent, not just approve things that are good. Mm. And um, we have this that you talked about the the dual nature, so so to speak, the, the flesh and the spirit. John Piper has a has a good quote. He says this. He says, the spirit has landed to do battle with the flesh. So take heart if your soul feels like a battlefield at times. And I think if our parents were tired, <laughs> if you want to be honest, <laughs> we just get tired and we get tired of doing battle with not just, you know, our children's issues, but our own issues. And um, it may leave little energy to handle things in the home with our children, but we have a responsibility um, to discipline or dice, disciple our children. It's the same word there. Uh, to disciple our children, to train them to do what? And that's the question, right? To f- and I think that some some parents might say, well, I want to train them to have a sense of morality or train them to control their flesh. Those are good things, but those ultimately aren't the things that, that God points to. Ultimately, he wants us to be Christ-like or lovers of Christ, lovers of God. And how do we, how do we train our children to love God? I think the the weight. So I was just looking that up on on Logos real quick mm-hmm. as you were talking. Um, there's three different Greek words that get used in the New Testament. This one is used just the one time in Hebrews twelve one, and it's a word for weight that carries a connotation of impediment. Um, but it's still distinct from sin. So I think even though they're mentioned yep. together, they're separated by a conjunction in the verse. And so it's not to be equated. Um, 
a weight is not necessarily a sin. And so just as a marathon runner may wear a, a tracksuit to get to the starting line and then shed that tracksuit, the tracksuit was not a sinful thing. Yep. It was helpful to keep them warm until they needed to exert all that energy in the run. Yeah. Um, and right. so for us, technology is very much a tool that we clothe ourselves with day to day. Mm-hmm. We're using our phones. I'm using technology to record this. I'm using an iPad to take notes. Um, all these things are are useful to a point. But as soon as I begin to enter into a space of ministry or running the race, as it were, like if I'm doing something that has eternal value, this stuff may not be helpful to run anymore. It may become an impediment as the word connotates here in Hebrews 12. Right. So I really like that kind of teasing that out, um, the distinction of how we can perceive technology, not as inherently sinful or wrong, but as potentially a weight, mm-hmm. an impediment. And some, to some degree, um, the weight differs from person to person. So, mm. you know, somebody might, um, have a proclivity toward, um, um, you know, gambling or something like that. So, so ads that would pop up on their screen, might be a temptation, whereas they may not be for somebody else. And so, you know, we have to be, we have to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And we can't just throw everybody in the same pool and say, it's all going to work out in the end. Right. It doesn't happen like that. We are individuals. And that's why Romans 14 exists because we're, we're trying to find, you know, where, where, Obviously, this plays into our conscience, but it also plays into how our conscience was formed and and um, for us, what is right and wrong may not be right and wrong for somebody else. Right. right. So so in that case, you know, I may my conscience may be pricked by a certain activity on the Internet or a video game or a certain site where somebody else's may not be. And, and so we have to be wise and we have to be, but our children don't have that ability yet, right? Yeah. Who have not been exercised. So, so, yeah, when we think if we want to can keep massaging this weight analogy, yeah. um, like if I'm going to go to the, to the gym and use some free weights, um, at this stage in my life, I probably need to start with a certain weight. Let's, let's be conservative and say, I need, I need 20 pound dumbbells for my curls at, to start with. Like I can't go straight to the so 35s. You're saying, you're saying total 40 pounds, 20 on each side. Yes. So like, uh, wow. that's what I'm using. So that's aggressive. Um, but if I, uh, were to give those same weights to my children yeah. that, yeah, even as big as Judah is, he's not getting that off the ground. Yeah. And that's okay and to be understood. So I, as a parent, would not give him that weight at that age and that phase of his life. So we could, in some ways, think of technology uh, as a weight that's, again, a tool to potentially be helpful for us. But as a parent, imparting that, giving that to our child, we have to be mindful of what weight they can bear um, at the age they are, at the maturity they are. Yep. You think like, that makes sense? Maybe? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the principle, um, call it the Gumnazo principle or just exercising yourself into godliness. Yeah. Um, that concept that you brought up is really helpful. Um, yeah, I wouldn't expect my little daughter, Kate to lift a 20 pound dumbbell, let alone a 40 pound dumbbell yeah. with the, the bar included, which would be even more than that. But, um, and, and so I think that, that, that tendency tends to happen in, um, 
in our parenting, we, we, we tend to think what's good for us is good for our kids. We can think that way. And it's not always the case. And oftentimes it's not the case. Yeah. So I think that's, that's good. Yeah. I think the, the idea of having your senses exercise as Hebrews puts it, Hmm. um, have your children exercised to the point where they can handle certain things in their life. And, um, you, you know, as I understand technology, as I understand the development of the iPhone and different articles I've read, and I don't have one in front of me, I wish I did, but, and you can research this and it, I don't have documented proof right now. I'm going to make a broad statement and you can disagree with it, but I'd be happy to be proven wrong. But I think the concept between the iPhone is, is that they want, they want technology and humanity to be one. And they call, there's a term for it called singularity and singularity has a broad spectrum as far as how human interaction and, and computers work together. But um, at the very least, it would be a dependency upon technology to get through the day. Yeah. And we've already seen that. I mean, it's hard to to get through the day without carrying your cell phone around. Um, but that's all by design. That's not mm-hmm. a conspiracy theory. That's just a design of where we're heading. Um, and yet, you know, as parents, we've got to be careful. You know, do we do we take our cues from the world and say, well, that's the world we live in now. And if it is, you know, we've got to, we've got to be careful. Okay. If this is the new cultural norm where we're going to be singular with technology, which we can make the case has already happened. um, How do we, how do we navigate those early years in our child's development? while they're exercising um genesis is a great book of beginnings and we see the beginning of sin really take fruit in the garden but one of the words pun intended there what's that pun intended yeah take fruit in the garden yeah Yeah. (laughs) i didn't intend that pun yeah it was just totally subconscious but it's a biblical mind that's that's what you're exercising that's great thinking of that vein but yeah you think about the the way sin is talked about in the early days, there's a word, um, desire. Um, it's used twice in the early part of Genesis. One for for Eve um, in the curse in Genesis chapter 3 where it says her desire shall be to uh, her husband. And we're not really told what that means. Um, but we find the word used again in chapter 4 and verse 7. Uh, speaking of Cain and speaking of sin, sin's desire should be to Cain. And that phrase that comes next is helpful to understanding what that desire is. Because he it says that he shall rule over it. In other words, Cain shall rule over sin. But sin's desire is to rule over Cain. So, so the idea that, that we're passive and, you know, to some degree... Um, we are a victim of sin. All of us are. Yeah. Sin is a roaring lion. You know, basically, it's, it's like if you think about Satan as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You could say the same thing about the sin. Um. And so, what it? You know, what is it? What is sin? It's not. It's not necessarily the fruit that that Eve ate that wasn't sinful. That was good. Yeah. 
God made it. It was good. It was good. So we could say there, you know, technology in, in many respects is good. So that's not the sin. You know, sin lies within the, the heart. So Eve yeah. lusted. And you had mentioned, you know, prior to going on the air about, um, um, this is first John chapter two, 15 through 17. Yeah. Um, yeah. All that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, yep. the pride of life. Um, it, those are the three kind of the root. If you think of the root of sin, you could, you could trace it back to Eve. Say she desired all three of those things. Yeah. Um, and so when we talk about affection and we talk about love and we talk about, you know, how our children are developing their loves, their affections for life, just good things, you know, we want to expose them to as many wonderful things as we can. And technology is part of that. Mm-hmm. However, technology is fraught with danger. Even innocent things are yep. being hijacked by predators now. And, you know, we I know people personally whose daughters have been um, on certain apps or certain vehicles via the Internet. And they were actually talking to an adult male yeah. without knowing it. Yeah. And the adult male was portraying himself as a young girl who was just asking questions. And that's not unusual now. Yeah, unfortunately not. So as parents, we do well to to not just wholesale accept the... Um, the technology that's that's available to us and just say, well, you know, we've got filters and we've got safeguards. Um, right. There, are, there really are no ultimately safeguards no. to any of this. So I think one of the things that was particularly helpful, especially in the panel discussion, and it's been under the surface of all we've said so far today, is the idea that you brought forth that our children are sinners. Um, I, I'm aware of this typically around 18 months uh, mm-hmm. that's when mm-hmm. I feel like they're consciously contrary, <laughs> but, yeah. but there are times when I'm very aware that my child is sinning, particularly when, like when they're in my face, yeah. uh, then I'm reminded of you little sinner, but I love you. <laughs> uh, but then there are certainly times where my default assumption that's based on kind of the cultural social imaginary that we, you know, the innocence of children, um, I, that becomes my default where like when they're not in my face and they're not actively disobeying me, I presume their innocence and then treat them as innocent, pure little mm-hmm. creatures, like when they're asleep or whatever. Um, but that is not a parenting strategy that would be consistent with a biblical anthropology. Right. And I appreciated that reminder. Um, so what are the, what, what could bring hope though? That sounds really kind of yeah. sad and, and scary yeah. that, oh man, my kids are sinners. So the, that's part of the, the beginning of the gospel. Like they need to hear the bad news. I need to be reminded of the bad news that we're all hopefully, yeah. hopelessly sinful. Yeah. Um, and yet we are more loved than we can hope for and hope. And I hope that all of the parents at Grace Community Church, especially are loving their kids at that exceedingly high level yeah. that we've been shown examples of by God, our father. But 
But what hope is there yeah. then for these sinful children that we're being called to raise? Yeah, I mean, the, the hope is that, um, and I'm going to read a passage of scripture here in just a second, but I, I just want to say this. The, the hope is that our children do mature and their affections change. So wherever we're at in our development with our children, um, like a young tree that can be trained um, to grow in a certain way, um, God's given us children and we can train them up and we can bend them and bend their wills and they're bendable, yeah. they're flexible. To what end? To the end where they would appreciate Christ and God for who he is. Um, but ultimately, you know, a parent's parenting is deficient. So we need something outside of even us to con- you know, correct the, the sinful bent. And that is the spirit of God. God opens the eyes of our children to um, th- their need of Christ. And obviously they're receiving of him as their savior. Um, and Genesis or in Romans chapter six, um, in verse 22, he's talking about the state of man after we're saved. He says, but now being made free from sin, um, and that being made free from sin is is that's a reality. We are freed from sin. Um, that's not a hypothetical. Right. Uh, we are freed from sin and become servants to Amen. God. And you have fruit unto holiness and the end of everlasting life. What is that fruit? We talk about fruit of the spirit. What is the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. But the beautiful thing about that last fruit is self control. Hmm. And uh, when we specifically talk in terms of digital space, we're talking about in terms of knowing how to control our flesh. Yeah. Um, I have to on a daily basis, no matter what I have on my computer as far as safeguards, I have to exhibit self-control. Yep. When you're alone with technology, you have access to any sort of things that can um, control the mind or, or whatever. And so as a, as a saved person now, I have the ability to choose what's right. Yeah. Whereas prior to salvation, I did not have that ability to choose what was right. I was completely lost. And now you may be a parent parenting an unsaved child and you say, okay, what hope is there for me? It's the same hope. You know, their hope is that they need to be saved. Their child needs to be saved. And you're, you're disciplining, you're, you're teaching your children the, the, the truths about scripture, hoping that God will open his eyes and praying that way. Yeah. I was thinking about, uh, you know, the idea of common grace. Yeah. Like that's still extended to every parent of every child Mm -hmm. around the planet. Um, the, the image of God in which we've been made is, is good. And we, even in our depravity, uh, are given common grace mm-hmm. by God. So a, a household in which either the parents are not saved or the kids are not saved, um, there is still the image of God in which they've been made and the availability of common grace and the movement of the Holy Spirit, hopefully in those hearts to, tr- to make them alive at some point and yeah. to draw them to Christ. But um, so there is hope like like you just said, for um, a parent 
work, you know, parenting and seeking to bend the will of, uh, you know, an unregenerate and unsaved child, uh, that is not a lost cause. That is not a, um, that is not a, a, it's not a Sisyphus task where you're just pushing against inevitably to see no fruit. Like there's still, um, so much potential in every child. And as we apply the law of God, which is still part of the gospel, if we, um, seek to bring about human flourishing, which is, you know, a secularly acceptable task. Like if we want to help our child flourish, um, no one's going to fight you against that. So if we're using the law of God and the scripture to, to bring about the flourishing of our children, um, there is plenty of hope. Yeah. I mean, even if if we recognize that our children or a child is not saved, we still want to see them flourish in the context in which they're, they're alive. Yeah. I mean, the hope that they'll get saved one day should be there and we should pray to that end. And, but while the child is in the home, we have a great responsibility to teach them truth in spite of their reaction to it. Um, 12 inches is a foot in a, in and the way we measure things in the United States, right? We're not on the metric system, but 12 inches is a foot. And that's a fact. Two plus two equals four. That's a fact. We would never want to allow our children to define mathematical terms and come to their own conclusions. And when we say Jesus is God, you know, that's not up for debate. That's a fact. And that's not your faith versus your child's faith. That's the only truth. That yeah. there is Muhammad or Allah in the Islamic world is not God. Um, Harry Krishna or even, um, you know, when we think of Eastern meditation and Eastern religions, um, they're deficient in their view of Christ. And so we as Christians would understand that there is one truth. And we do well to teach that one truth to our children. Um, but, you know, I mean, honestly, there is a there is a um, uh, a push from the world that would suggest that it's OK um, to leave room for your children to choose their own way. Right. And that only leads to I mean, their own way has already been chosen. That's the that's the point. Yeah. Um, all we like sheep have gone astray. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we, we've chosen our own way. You know, uh, Romans 1, you know, there's no man who seeks after God. Um, so, yeah, I, I would I would just I would just want to be very concerned that the language of Deuteronomy chapter six, which is what we go to when we talk about training up our child mm-hmm. and then teaching them diligently in the way they should go, that kind of concept comes up there, but the language is be careful, be diligent, observe, um, lest you forget. Yeah. And I'm so, I'm so prone to forgetting what manner of man I am that I oftentimes forget that my children are even weaker. Yeah. And that scares me sometimes because I feel like, you know, there are times when I when I could have done more, I should be doing more, convicted all the time, that I'm never doing enough. But again, you know, even if we did everything right, parents are still deficient. Yep. They need the spirit of God. So 
Um, I led with this and, you know, Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We, we were, we left with the hope that Christ can understand our hearts. Yeah. And he knows how to handle it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I would, I would say as the child grows in maturity, saved or unsaved, um, there's implicit trust that's developed. And as you know, your children develop those things, those, that, that, that self-control. Do you um, think there's a there's difference opportunities and for would there be a difference then in what is, uh, evident from a, a child that's saved and a child that's not, you know, some, somewhere in like a middle schooler for let's, let's yeah. create a more concrete example, a middle school child who is not saved and a middle school child who is, and has made a credible profession of faith. Like, would you see potentially different levels of maturity and with regard to technology in between two general kids? You, you might, you may not. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that's a great question because then you're going to, if sin is still operating in some way, yeah, in my let's just say regenerate seventh grader, okay, then the same level of pull, uh, or not just say the same level of pull, but there is a pull, yeah, to give into the flesh. Now, hopefully, you would see some confession, maybe some conviction on the back end. Yeah. Whereas I don't necessarily think you would see the same level of conviction. Now, we all have a conscience, as you mentioned, which is right. great. There's a conscience of right and wrong, even an unsaved person. So not every unsaved person commits all the sin that they can commit. Why? Because they have a conscience. Yeah. That is ultimately rooted in the image of God, mm -hmm. which gives them a sense of morality. So... Um, I would say you're probably going to see less difference at seventh grade level. Yeah. Then hopefully you will at a 12th grade level. Sure. Right. That's what, that's why it's hard to be dogmatic. Hey, I know my seventh right. grader's saved. Right. Well, you, you know, you don't want to go one way or the other. You don't want to be too confident that they're not, and you want to be too confident that they are. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing is I think there may be a pretty consistent call for parents either way. Looking yeah. biblically at the the instructions that we as parents have been given, um, there is no sense in, in which we're supposed to parent differently for saved versus unsaved yeah. kids. We have one set of instructions. Yeah. To train a child um, up, and in the in, to, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and and whether they choose that ultimately down the road, that's not our that's not under under our control. Right. As much as we want to control things, we say, well, if I you know we're very logical people too, and mathematical. If I do this, then this should happen. Right. If I take them to church and if I make them go to youth group or, and if I make them memorize scripture, then this is the outcome. That's not always the, it's not yep. formulaic. Yep. Which can make us frustrated. Sure. You, you want, you want, you want it to be formulaic. That, that, 
Yep. Bleeds is so easy. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I think as I raise children, I see more of the fruit of the spirit coming out in my older kids than my younger ones. And they should be able to see that happening. Right. Um, and hopefully as they go into college, we'll see it more and more and more and more. Yeah. Um, and so I don't want to hand over the reins of technology to my children all at once you, you, you kind of introduce them. And as a good parent, you allow them now, my, I mean, my daughter was on, um, a pretty, uh, innocent app playing a video game. And then ad came up for another video game that wasn't innocent. Yep. And her, uh, even at five, her face turned red and she knew it was wrong. And, um, and even today she'll do the same thing. And it, it, that's what I'm saying. Like, like sin hunts you down. Like, like yeah. your kids don't have to look f- for pornography. Pornography will find them. Yeah. If you think about, you know, our home as a space that we decorate, that we arrange and that we cultivate for the health and safety and, and, uh, flourishing of our family, every device becomes a new window that is opened up and hard to close and lock once you've opened it the first time, but it becomes a new window to the entire world. And so if your mm-hmm. home already has a bunch of windows and a bunch of natural light and you see the beauty of God's creation in those ways, um, you understand that like if a storm comes or if there's any sort of danger, all of a sudden those windows become uh compromising liabilities, yeah. uh, like in the hailstorm from a couple of years ago, yeah. people with a bunch of windows on their home, all those windows got busted, uh, mm-hmm. by the hailstorm as it passed over. Uh, and because you can't control those things once you've, int- once you've put a window into your structure. So every piece of technology that we give to our kids, um, becomes a new window yeah. that is that much more difficult to board up, uh, when a storm is passing through, uh, or when, um, we decide well, part of your punishment is no access to that device. Like that can become a whole different kind of storm in your home yeah. having those conversations, yeah. but it's because we've opened up that window. Um, it's we, hard to close. I mean, in that metaphor, I mean, in a storm, it's hard to close sometimes an open window. Yeah. The winds blow in and it's hard to get to the window. And that's, that's the, that's the challenge when you make a mistake. It's like, well, can we go back and fix it? Yes. But it just means it's going to be a little harder yep. to fix the problem. But but never feel... I, I think this is something that I learned from my parents. You know, whenever they f- felt like they had let us go too far in one direction, then they had feelings about it um, strongly against what they allowed us to do at one point. They would they would seek our forgiveness. And they would say, you know, we're sorry. We, we, we allowed you to do something that I think now was probably not the best decision to make. And we've seen some negative things come out of it, but they always, my parents were very smart. They always replaced it with something. And I can always do that, but if they took something away, they probably, I think in, in the case I'm thinking about, they replaced it with something um, wholesome. And that was like, I remember I had a, um, 
this is an anecdotal story, but I had a, um, my parents got me a, an Atari 5200, if you remember that, or it was back in the late eighties, I guess, or mid eighties. Yeah. And, um, with a, a TV, we didn't have, you know, screens like a computer screen. So it had to be on a TV. Yeah. Well, I had TV in my room, you know, at a, at a 10 or 11 years old, you know, was, which was cool, but I watched it all the time. And, uh, you know, my parents were like, you know, that wasn't the smartest thing to do. You know, they were just thinking he'd play video games on it, but now I'm watching TV. Yep. Now they could have limited it and said, don't watch TV. But truth is I was probably going to watch it, Mm -hmm. you know, if they weren't around. So, um, my dad came to me and said, you know, it was a mistake. We shouldn't have done this. Um, wow. And we're going to take it out of your room. And you know what he bought me? Which is kind of cool. He said, yeah, I'm going to take the TV out of your room, but I want to buy you a keyboard, you know, because I know you like music. And he bought me this little keyboard with a synthesizer on it. Yeah. And I'll let me tell you, I love that thing. And really it became a more wholesome activity for me. Um, and yeah. I enjoyed that more than I did enjoying playing video games, at least, you know, Defender. Yeah. <laughs> if you remember that game, <laughs> there wasn't much to enjoy about it. I already, at that point, I already conquered the game. So, so that's that's yeah. great. Um, I think that for any parents who are listening to the panel, and for folks who may listen to the other supplemental podcasts I'm about to record, um, some of us have already taken steps we wish we hadn't, and that's a really great example to hear from your dad that um, we can. continue the conversation with our kids. We can be the parent um, if we need to restructure the space or Mm -hmm. change the way that we're interacting with a particular device or an app. Um, And there are resources for that. So again, for folks who missed the panel, you know, go back and listen and check out the PDF that's attached to that on the Grace website um, to see some of the resources that we recommended. Um, And I want to remind all of you who are listening that Pastor Jeff is a resource for our church family um, and for specifically all of the families of students. Um, We would love for you to take advantage of reaching out to him. Um, to follow up on any of these things. If you're wrestling with a particular idea or thinking through a situation in your own home with your own teenager or student, um, Jeff is here to be a resource for you. Yeah, be happy to help out and, um, you know, whatever wisdom I can offer. Right. <laughs> be happy to do that. Uh, right? and, and so are the small group leaders that are working yep. with your kids if they're in the youth group ministry here or um, other parents, um, particularly those who might be in your home group. You know, so remember that, as you parent in this technology space, you're not parenting alone. As much as it might feel like that during this quarantine time, um, you are parenting with God, uh, and with your spouse, and with other parents around you who also probably mm. love your kids. And yeah. so take advantage of those relationships as well when you're navigating some of these difficult things of uh, how to set appropriate boundaries, how to recognize maturity and trust. You know, sometimes we need to hear from other parents that, hey, your kid did awesome in the way they interacted with this other child. And I didn't see it, so I would have never known. Yeah. Or, hey, your kid was really rude to this other kid. And I would have never known because they're not rude like that in front of me. So we need each other. Uh, even as we're separated, uh, during this time, we need each other to parent well. And I think that's part of why God knit the body together the way that he did. 
Yeah, it's good to talk through these things. And I think, I think honestly, you know, we can go to somebody and say, well, you know, I respect this person. So do they let their kids do this or do that? And, you know, that's one part of it, but, but be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I think that's the whole point of all of this is, you know, there's safety in a multitude of counselors, but that doesn't mean your counselors can, are always right. Right. So it just means your responsibility to, you know, do your legwork and do your homework. Um, but yeah, I agree with everything you just said. And, um, you know, we just kind of talked through, we were jumping all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it's been a blessing and, um, you know, take it seriously, be careful, be cautious, walk this road with your children. They're going to be gone out of your home before you know it. Yeah. Um, such a short time, the, the joy that you have in just watching your kids mature, the battles that you have with them are worth the fight. Yeah. You, you, they just are. I mean, you'd rather fight on this end than on the other end yeah. when they're out of the home. Yep. Yeah. And I'm sure there are parents who can bear testimony to that uh, within our body as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 and even when you do everything right at the end of the day, it really is the Lord's working in the heart of your child Mm -hmm. to make them conform to him. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big, it's a big responsibility, but I appreciate the, uh, the time letting me share. Yeah, no, thank you so much for taking time out of the day to walk through these issues. Uh, And as you continue to listen, I'll be posting a few more supplemental conversations about technology and the family. You've been listening to Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth.